0: Okay, well, hello, North Cincinnati Student Ministries and friends. Please grab a Bible. We are going to be in Psalm 126, and I'm going to start reading Psalm 126 right now. So look with me at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 126 and the great reminder that you are the Lord who restores, who restores our relationship with you, who has went through leaps and bounds to bring us and call us back to yourself. And that affects us and that affects the way that we live and that affects not just that, but the joy that we have and the joy that we experience in our daily lives. So, Thank you that you're a God who frees us, who liberates us, and who gives us a liberating joy that is surpasses all circumstances. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want you to, to imagine with me that you were wrongly convicted of a crime and had to spend life in prison. Just imagine this. Imagine that you were at your home and police officers come to your home and they say, Hey, I need you to come with me to the courthouse. You match a description of somebody who committed a crime. And you're probably disoriented by that. But sure, of your innocence, so you said, sure, I'll go comply. I'll go down to the courthouse and, and do what you need to do because I'm innocent. And then you go and you stand in a line with five other people. And the person who had the crime convicted against them points to you as the one who did it, even though that you're the guilty person. And you get arrested, and you get put in jail, and you get detained, and then you you go to trial. And sure enough, even though you're innocent, you sit through the trial thinking, surely justice will happen, and my innocence will be revealed, and I'll be able to go home. But sure enough, it never does. And there's a really, really good, gifted prosecuting attorney that is able to uh, prosecute you and, and persuade the jury that you're guilty, even though you're innocent. And the judge hits his gavel. And they say, he says to you or she says to you, life in prison. And you've got to go. You can't make your case. You can't declare your innocence. You've got to go to jail. And you're there. Just imagine what that would feel like. Imagine having your freedom taken from you like that. What would you do? Who would you blame? What would that mean for you? What would you long for while you were in prison? What would you dream about? What 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 would you wish would be different? And then I want you to imagine that a new technology comes out or some new piece of evidence comes out 35 years later and you're, and you're, and you're declared innocent and that you're, you're able to just go, go free. How would you feel then, after spending 35 years, after being convicted of a crime that you didn't commit, to then walk in freedom? Just imagine the joy of your liberation. The joy that, that finally your name has been vindicated, your innocence has been proven, and you can be a free man. James Bain is a resident of Florida who had that exact thing happen to him. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit. He was taken into the courthouse. He was pointed out by a child who um who had a crime committed against them. as the one who James the child said James is the one who did it. He went to court, he was convicted, and he was an innocent man in jail, and he spent 35 years there. 35 years of his life he couldn't have back. 35 years that he knew he, that he was innocent, that he did not commit the crime that, was, that he was accused of. Just imagine what that would feel like. And then the day when the, the new technology, this DNA testing came out, they, they, he got his appeal, they did the testing, and he was proven innocent. And he walked free after 35 years as a free man. When that happened, he was interviewed. And uh, the first thing he did was call his mom and, and to tell her that it's, it's happened. I'm, I'm a free man. And then he was asked, what's it feel like to be free? And he said this, I guess I kind of feel like when they first landed on the moon. And he just said, we have touchdown. And I love that's what he had to say, that he compared his experience of walking on the on the ground of freedom as 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 the first person who walked on the moon first land, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon what that felt like right just imagine Neil Armstrong you're, you you fly to the moon and you're the first person that this the 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 excitement the exhilaration the joy that you're the person that you're walking on the moon this thing that you've always looked up at and and dreamed about about being on that you finally were there In the same way, James Bain, when he was free, and he took that first step of freedom, he felt like Neil Armstrong did when he was on the moon. The joy of, of, I've been longing to be free, and I finally am. Psalm 126 is about God's people. God's people in exile, who are under the, the rule of foreign rulers, who don't have the freedom that they once enjoyed as being God's people in God's land. This is a song of God's people who are in exile, who long for the restoration of themselves individually, but also God's people corporately, where they could go back to the land of milk and honey that was promised to them in Abraham. So that they could go, that Joshua, that Joshua took in the conquest. They long to be in that place again, but they know that they're not there. Psalm 126 is about the joy of dreaming about that day when god 's people can finally walk in the freedom that God promised them in verse one it says this um, or i'm sorry in in psalm one twenty six uh, the context is when god's people are in exile they some when when god's people were exiled uh, in the Old Testament, some stayed in the land that God had given them, but they were still under foreign rule, and they couldn't worship god and they couldn't they couldn't abide under god's law they had to be under the law of the nations, some were taken to to Babylon. Um, you can read about that in Daniel, uh, where some of them went and what that was like for them. That's what that's what that is. So they were scattered people. They were under the rule of somebody else, and they longed for the day when they can return, and they and they longed for their liberation. And what we see in, in Psalm one twenty six in two parts, in verses one to three, we can see that the joy of liberates that helps God's people persevere, and in verses four through six, we see the joy of God's people that helps them find purpose when they're in difficulty. So let's look at Psalm 126, verses one through three, which is the joy that liberates us, that helps us persevere. Verse one, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. This is a really interesting thing. So so this is called a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of assent and also a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of God's people, a corporate lament, a longing, uh, a declaration of disorientation. And, and a lot of times when, when P- God's people, when they wrote the psalms of lament, even though they were still in the midst of their disorientation, they they understood the promises of God and they wrote their songs as if God had already delivered them. And that's what's going on here. You hear the context and how they're writing. They're speaking about their present reality. They're speaking about a future restoration in the past tense because they're communicating a surety that God will deliver them even though they're still as they're still not restored and they're still in exile. It says when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream, right? They're dreaming of the day when they're de- declared free, they know that they're that 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 they are God's people, and that they and that their God will deliver them. They know that they have they have they have not kept the covenant. They know that God disciplines those He loves, and God has put them in exile so that foreign gods rule over them, so that they remember what it feels like, so that they reach out and cry out to God, which is what they're doing now. They're they're communicating. A sure future. It happens in the past tense to give them present hope. Then in verse two it says, "Then our mouths were filled with laughter when they dream about their liberation, when they dream about their restoration, and the day that they deliver, they're filled with laughter and joy." And they, they then there's this thing that says, "Then the nations among them they say the Lord has done great things for them." Right? The nations, those who are not Israel, those who are not the people of God, are looking at their joy and say. The Lord has delivered them. Look at how happy these people are. That God has done great things for them. And then the confession of the nations are also the confessions of God's people in verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are happy. God's people have been uprooted. They're either in a land that is not theirs, as some have been taken, or they had to stay and they're uprooted because they're under foreign rule. But still, they can persevere in the midst of that because they know of God's future deliverance they have a sure hope that God will not forget them and that he'll come and rescue them and they have difficulty in their in their midst of their of their or they can persevere in the difficulty of them being disoriented right there was a way of living that they had that isn't anymore they're disoriented they they used to be able to go to the temple to worship God they can't do that anymore they had particular ways of doing things ways of dealing with governance and ways of dealing with Day to day living that they can't do anymore because they're under foreign rule and they have to subject themselves to 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 a different a different land, right? Their disorientation in that, but they have a sure hope tomorrow that helps them today. Which makes me think about—I'm sure some of you have heard heard this illustration before. But if I was to say to you, you could either have a thousand dollars today or a million dollars in a year from now, which would you choose? You, you would, I'm going to answer for you and assume that you would wait the year in order to have the million dollars because it's so much more than a thousand. You know, when God's people were in exile, there were so many things that they could have, in their disorientation, done and dis, and to disobey against God. They could have worshipped the gods of the nations. They could have become like the Babylonians and submitted themselves fully and, had their, and declared their allegiance to a new nation, to new gods, but there was a remnant, some people that stuck around, some people whose psalm this was their psalm. They didn't settle for the thousand dollars today because they knew about the million dollars that would exist tomorrow. They knew that God doesn't forget His people. They knew of a future hope that the God who was with them will restore them. They knew that when, when God said to Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, He made a promise to them and said that a Redeemer will come. That, that through the eve of seed, the serpent's head would be crushed they knew that they had faith in that they knew that their story wasn't over yet and that was their hope that was their future hope that helped them get through the difficulty that they currently experienced us experienced and that that joy of god the joy of god's deliverance for them was in was was the deliverance from exile but for us is the cross the freedom from our our sin that we are no longer under the dominion of sin the rule of sin that we that we resurrect as Jesus did to new life that is not just something for us today but something that will exist for us tomorrow that first peter talks all about about setting our eyes on the hope of tomorrow our future salvation in Jesus that through our own death or the return of Jesus we will be with God forever to set our our eyes on that that would inform how we then live our todays, and there are so many things today that are calling out to us, that are that are testing you, saying, "Does God really deliver you? Do you really need to live for God tomorrow? Just do this and have this." No, God calls us to hope in Him, to remember His restoration, and that there is a future restoration, and to and to contemplate and to remember. And to, and, to, and to burst out in joy, the joy of joy eternal, the joy that liberates us, the joy that we have in Jesus. As we continue reading, we see that not just we have a joy that liberates us, that helps us persevere through difficulty, but we also have a joy that helps us find purpose in our difficulty, that our, our hurts and our pains and our hardships and our, our, um, our difficulty, they aren't wasted or in vain, that God uses those things to equip us to live today. Look with me in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negeb. There is a plea that the psalmist has in verse 4, a prayer. He is calling out to God to restore them, to restore their fortunes like the streams in the Negeb. If you don't know what that is, it's a desert. So it's in south of, of, in the land where God put his people in southern Judah. There was a desert called the Negev. that's translated as the Negev here. There was a desert and there were all these things called wadis, which is a Hebrew word. And they were little streams that, would, that, would, that are in the desert. And, and when, when these things called cloud bursts would happen, when it was the rainy season and it would rain like crazy, from the deserts the wadis would fill up and life would, would just erupt. That this dry and dead desert with, that was dusty and all cracked and dry, when these rains would pour open, life would just come from nowhere. It would just erupt, and all these seeds would be dormant, and it would just erupt, and all these beautiful flowers. And you, can, you can search. It still does this today in the desert. You could search you know, um, cloud bursts in the Negev or whatever, and you could see life come. And what it would look like. Insects would come out of nowhere and they'd start pollinating the flowers. You know, Animals would come and they'd come out of hiding and they would eat the plants. Just life would happen. And in the same way, when we think about our hearts and and our hearts apart from God, our hearts are like a desert. They're like the Negev that is longing for a cloudburst to come and pour down so that we can erupt in life. And that's what God does by faith in Jesus when He gives us His Spirit. That the dry bones awake. That in our death, our death of self, right, in in, in looking to God, He pours out His Spirit on our hearts that that erupts our dry desert hearts to joy, to life-giving joy in Him. And that's what the psalmist is, is longing for. They, they know that God's people feel like dry, they're, they're spiritually dry. They're spiritually impoverished. And they need God to pour out His Spirit on His people so that they can erupt like the streams then the Negev. And then in verses 5 and 6, uh, some commentators say this is the Lord's response to the psalmist's um, uh, plea. And it says this, "...those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy." He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for stowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy, shouts of joy. It's saying here that, that we will, by, by our tears, that we cry out to God, when we cry out to God, help us through our pains, through our difficulties, through our disorientations, from those tears bring life. That the way in which we experience, just like the Negev bursts to life, by the cloud bursts from above, we burst to life through our tears, through sorrow, through repentance, through looking to God to help us, who is our help in, a, in a, a commentary on this passage on that this reality of the upside down kingdom, the upside down way of God's doing things that tears and mourning turn to joy by His presence and His spirit. Uh, He says this, uh, It is Israel that is sown in death in the exile. And as we die to ourselves at the cross, we are also sown in death with Jesus. Nevertheless, there is a promise here. Joy will come. After death, there is resurrection. The grain of wheat that dies rises up again to bear a great harvest. Israel came home and was the people out of which the Messiah came to be the Savior of the world. Here is the ultimate homecoming. To come home with our father's house, set free, not from Babylon, but from Satan's sin and death. Thus will our mouths be filled with laughter and song for eternity. I love to watch nature shows and these uh I can't remember which one, but I feel like I've seen multiple nature shows where this happens. In particular, I think it's one with elephants, like they the the the, the show is they follow this herd of elephants as they migrate. And you see them leave, uh, and they, they, they leave their area to go to a place to experience, in the desert, to experience what I just talked about. It happens in the Negev, where the clouds open up and the rain falls down, and the place, the dry desert, just erupts with life. And it's really cool to see this, and maybe you can picture this in your mind's eye. But when those nature shows do that, right? just, just imagine this dry and lifeless desert. And then they have this this shot, right? And they fast forward it really, really fast. So you have this dry, lifeless desert, and the clouds come in, and there's lightning bolts, and this, and then the rain just comes down. Just a, the clouds open up, and the rain just falls down, and then the rain ceases, and then and then life just erupts. All these seeds that were dormant erupt, and these flowers burst open, and there's these insects, and all these animals come in because there's finally water, and there's finally life just you just see how a dry dead desert with with just water blossoms to life and gives life to its creatures around it as christians that should be us humanity's hearts are dry they're dry as the desert they're lifeless to produce righteousness before god and by the cross jesus dies, and the Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead. It raises Him to life to conquer over sin and death and Satan. So that by faith, we are given that same life, the same Spirit that resurrects Jesus from the dead, resurrects our dry and dead hearts, not just for the sake of our own personal salvations, even though that is enough to erupt us with absolute joy, wonder, and awe but also to give life to those around us. Just as that dry, dead desert, when the rain hits, erupts in life, and provides for others, so does the Christian. And that's what Jesus says. They'll know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And that's what I mean. Love one another. Because we have experienced the love of Jesus. And it is only by the love of Jesus that can dry dead hearts be raised to new life and provide life and love for those around them we can find purpose in difficulty because when we experience dryness when we experience difficulty it is those things that God uses and equips us to give life to others I never wish for difficulty to happen for myself or others or for suffering to happen for myself or others or for joy or for pain to happen for myself and others. But I know that when it comes, it, it will bring life because God is the one who restores and God is the one who will bring in turn our mourning to dancing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great promise. Thank you that for he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for a sowing, will come home with shouts of joy. Thank you that you are God who reverses pain, who restores us to yourself and uses our pain to give life to others. Help us to be an intentional people who don't just experience your joy and keep it just for ourselves, but who experience our joy and long to bend it out to others. Would we be like what Psalm 126 communicates? Will others who aren't your people see our joy Will they look at us and say, wow, the Lord has done great things for them. And would we know that you, because you have done great things for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.